Welcome to episode two of the first season of the American Opioid Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, you'll want to start with the first episode before moving on to this one. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. The series of events that led to Matt's disappearance from City Day Nursery began with something that had happened months before he met her, halfway across the country. His mother, Marjorie, took him on a trip at the request of a relative she had not spoken with in a long time. The mansion echoed with the footfalls of extended family members who had come from the four corners of the globe to pay their respects. The patriarch commanded reverence, even from his casket. The face, though grayed and sunken, retained that majestic air of a life that mattered. The eyes of the observers lingered upon it, reflecting on memories of statements and speeches gone by when it had been animated and flushed. Marjorie stood apart from most of them. She did not like being there. The looks, the whispers. They knew her husband had left her. Some had warned her it would happen. The smug satisfaction that lingered in the air sickened her, made her want to bolt from the place and go back to her small but comfortable trailer park home. Why was she here? But the elders had specifically stressed her presence, had ensured that the plane ticket would be paid for, that Marjorie and her son would be well accommodated. Marjorie had not enjoyed a real vacation since Matt was born, so she had said yes. She did not know the deceased personally, but it was impossible not to know who he was. The entire extended family knew him, or at least knew of him, and would refer to him constantly. He was a bright spot in a clan that had largely failed to keep up with the times. As Marjorie took in tidbits of gossip, she found out that she was not the only visitor with problems, financial and otherwise. The last time Marjorie had visited the towering manor, she had just been a child. Her memories had been drained of their specifics, evoking no more than the sheer size of the place. So she wandered throughout the cavernous interior, with Matt cradled in her arms. He was nodding off, and a line of spittle slowly worked its way down her shoulder from his half-closed mouth. On the second floor, she noticed a room with the door left ajar. Curious, she peered inside. The room was large but relatively plain. It could have been a room in any upscale suburban home. The curtains were drawn back from the windows, illuminating the inside with cloud-filtered sunlight. There was a bed, with a small table next to it, stacked with medications, dentures, and a couple of novels. 
Lying on the bed was an old woman whose face was vaguely familiar. The woman looked lazily over to her, and Marjorie saw a glint of recognition. Hello, my child. Please come in, the old woman said. Marjorie stepped inside, greeting the woman while racking her brains to remember her name, to pinpoint her exact place in the sprawling family tree. Marjorie studied the face closely, noticed the same regal bearing that she had seen earlier in The Departed, and realized that she was looking at the sister of the patriarch, Sybil Vane. Marjorie paused. She remembered the woman. She also remembered her reputation. The old woman's brother, even in death, had been celebrated across the extended family. His lasting presence in their ranks was reassuring, a comforting sign that pure talent was there too, not just talent mixed with crazy. The patriarch's sister, lying comfortably on the bed, one pillow behind her head, another supporting her left shoulder, was considered to be one of the crazies she generally kept to herself. The few times she was out in their midst, she would utter phrases that made no sense, and would stare at the blank wall for a long time while others were talking, as if watching an invisible movie projected onto it. It was not in a rude way, because her face was rapt and beaming rather than bored, and during the few times she did speak, she would interject with astonishing insight. She seemed to have a knack for detecting how people were actually feeling, despite the words they used. Many people preferred talking to her rather than her late brother because they found her less intimidating. But at the inevitable point in each conversation, she would veer off into nonsensical musings again, and the crazy would be back. You are the first relative I have seen this weekend, Sybil murmured. She sat up slowly, leaned against the headrest. Marjorie wanted to help, but Matt had begun to stir, twisting to and fro, keeping both of her arms occupied. Are you ill? Marjorie asked. Sybil smiled. When you reach my age, what's the difference? She noticed Matt, and suddenly her expression changed. She studied the child intensely as he took in his surroundings. She watched as he looked out the window on the far end of the room, at the snowflakes fluttering to the ground. His body swayed slightly from side to side. Marjorie tried to say something, but Sybil shushed her. She continued staring at the boy with that same attuned expression that Marjorie would remember years later in a different context. It made her deposit Matt into Sybil's arms the second she held them out. 
Matt swiveled his head up, took in the beaming face. The old woman looked down at the small child, believing him to be her kin. Not just by blood, but real kin. The kind that recognize each other without any introduction. What is his name, my dear? Sybil asked. Matt, Marjorie said. The old woman smiled at her. I knew there had to be one more. I waited so long. I had begun to lose hope that I would see it resurface within my lifetime. Your son is special. Marjorie replied, He is a diamond. My world. But it's been hard, you know. With the circumstances. Him not having a father. Sybil nodded. I know all too well about what happened. Sorry to hear it. But enough about that. She waved her hand dismissively, then examined Marjorie closely, almost as closely as she had examined Matt. He has a gift, you know. Despite herself, Marjorie felt a glow of pride. She knew that there was something about her son that defied description. Something about the way he studied things. The concentration. Almost like Sybil, she suddenly noticed. But Sybil looked sad. He will go through a lot of tribulation. That is the fate of our kind. People will not like that he is different. Some may be afraid of him. Most will simply laugh him off as an eccentric. He will be lonely. The short, clipped sentences tumbled out, faster and faster. It was as if she had held them in for a long time. My own cousin, for example, was subjected to a failed exorcism. They thought she was possessed. The gift was a curse for her. She did not know how to keep her mouth shut in those early days. She paid the price. I was smarter. I waited until I was too old for it to matter. People will not be alarmed by what you say if they think you are going senile. Marjorie felt her stomach sinking. Matt? Ending up like crazy Sybil? The old woman continued. Despite my age, I try to keep up with current events. Times are changing. People are more tolerant, and technology can work wonders. Your son will be lost for some time, but that is necessary. When he finds his calling... He will know it immediately, and he will make his mark. If my understanding of trends is correct, technology may reach the point where it will amplify his abilities a hundredfold, a thousandfold. He will be an artist in the realm of science, or perhaps 
a scientist in the realm of art. You cannot help him reach that point. You can only help him by staying out of his way. But he will become a target, just as I will become a target within the next few minutes. Marjorie, alarmed, asked, What do you mean? The old woman replied, Success draws attention, and some of it will be unwanted attention. Promise me this. When he begins to say things that make no sense to you, and he will, there is no doubt. Promise me that you will encourage him not to talk about those things to anybody else. He must keep them a secret for as long as possible. He should not draw attention to himself. Not knowing what else to do, Marjorie nodded. I promise, she said. Sybil's face was grim. It will not be easy. He will be desperate for someone who understands him. Someone who experiences the world the way he does. The way I do. I never found such a person, other than my cousin, who died many years ago. I thought I did, once. The man I loved told me he understood me. Her expression grew bitter. It broke my heart when I realized he was just toying with me, playing along while telling everyone behind my back what a nutcase I was. I never trusted another man again, other than my brother, who took me in when I was penniless and no longer slim and pretty when the rest of the world turned its back on me. He helped me redirect my gift in a more positive direction, and in return, I made him his fortune. I have been blessed. What am I complaining about? I have so much to be grateful for. The merriment was back, the twinkle in her eyes. When I was a little girl, I would hide in the closet for hours to shut it all out. The world was too much. I wanted someone who could guide me through it, explain it all to me, how everything was related to everything else. But there was no one, so I taught myself. I spent years on my own, testing things, figuring them out. The gift is hard to explain. Over the years, I have come to see it as more gift than curse. I know what they all say about me, by the way, that I am crazy. You must think so as well. Sybil held up her hand to prevent any protest. But the one who steps out of Plato's cave and then comes back to describe his observations to the others will always be described that way, as a madman. The old woman stopped suddenly. Matt sat quietly in her arms, content, 
not wriggling about as he usually did when handed to a stranger. For some reason, that made Marjorie more uneasy. Sybil's eyes widened, and she leaned her head very close to the small child, almost as if she were trying to hear his heartbeat. She looked up at Marjorie, an expression of utter disbelief on her face. Her breathing was shallow and heavy. She gripped Matt tightly, and he began to writhe, moaning with discomfort. The old woman appeared oblivious, continuing to stare at Marjorie. My God, Sybil murmured. Oh, my child, my child. Hearing Matt's sounds of pain, Marjorie stepped forward instinctively. She leaned in and lifted Matt away, took several steps back. She rocked him lightly, soothing him away from the disturbance. Her overwhelming urge was to protect him from the crazy old woman. But Sybil did not react. Instead, she sat back, deep in thought. The expression on her face was one of perplexity. This is untrodden territory. You are holding a weapon of mass destruction in your hands. He is one of a kind. No peers. Just then, they heard hushed voices approaching, and then some relatives trickled in. The old woman became silent as a gravestone. The trickle accelerated, became a flood, and soon the whole room was packed. A burgeoning crowd formed outside the door, composed of those who were not lucky enough to get there first. Marjorie found herself jostled backward, even as she tried to remain stationary, as if she were standing on a slowly moving treadmill. She tried to make out what was happening amidst the hubbub. It turned out that over 90% of the entire inheritance had been left with Sybil, transforming her from the forgotten relative to the new family celebrity. Suitors lined up on all sides to kiss the ring. It was disgusting. Marjorie did not get a private moment with Sybil again, nor did she go out of her way. On the contrary, she deliberately avoided her. Matt could have been hurt by the way Sybil had tightly held on to him. Marjorie could not wait to leave. Everything about the weekend was creeping her out. When Marjorie arrived back home, she immediately plunged into the extra shifts she had signed up for at work to make up for the time she had taken off. Then the garbage disposal broke, and then a neighbor came by, needing a shoulder to cry on after another fight with her boyfriend. Sybil receded from her thoughts. A week later, the doorbell rang. The delivery man squinted at her, Marjorie Kane? She nodded. Two packages for you, from a... Sybil Vane. The boxes were massive, and his face crinkled with strain as he lugged them into the cramped space. 
She signed the confirmation of delivery, and he headed out, leaving her alone with both boxes. Matt was asleep in the next room. Marjorie went to the kitchen, grabbed a knife, came back and started cutting through the packing tape on the first box. It contained books. Dozens and dozens of hardcover books, neatly stacked and lined up horizontally as if on a shelf. Marjorie marveled at the painstaking care in the custom binding. She ran her finger along the elegant, embossed spines, from one slim volume to the next. She pulled one out, hearing a pleasing shh sound as it glided smoothly against its companions on each side. When she cracked it open, her nostrils took in the sharp, fresh scent of high-quality paper. She turned a thick page, then another. With each turn, she saw the same kind of diptych, the same blunt contrast between left and right. On the left-hand page, some kind of art. An array of colors, melding into each other in various combinations, as if an artist had partially mixed drops of paint from five or six different pails. On the right-hand page, a crude drawing, only slightly more elaborate than stick figures. It was strange to see such an amateur effort right next to something much more impressive. She never understood why modern art did dumb things like this. But was this modern art? What was this? Who was the artist? She took out the first book and opened the cover. No copyright or publisher information. No table of contents. No title and no author. As she flipped through the pages, she realized that the book did not contain a single word. Just colors and drawings, juxtaposed side by side. She picked up the knife and cut through the packing tape on the second box. Same as the first box. Books, the same kind, and nothing more. The only words were her name and address. No return address. She was sitting cross-legged as she pored over one of the books again, trying to find out what it was about when the doorbell rang again. She got up, leaving the open book on the floor. At the door was the same delivery man. Sorry, a third item. Don't worry, this one's much smaller, which is a relief for both our sakes, he said with a slight grin, handing her a large, sealed envelope. She thanked him, closed the door, sat on the creaky couch, tore it open, began to read. Some kind of trust account. Her heart began to race. It appeared that virtually limitless funds were available to her, provided that she spent them solely for... No, she said. She continued to read, then shook her head. No, she said louder. She stopped reading, stuffed the papers back into the envelope. You crazy old woman, you don't know anything, she yelled to no one. She grabbed the book and threw it against the wall. It fell to the floor in an opened position, 
spine down, pages up. Matt started crying in the other room. Marjorie began to breathe again. She walked into the next room to comfort him. She did not use a crib for Matt. Instead, she slept right next to him in one bed, just as her mother had done with her, which was useful because it saved space. The fear of rolling over and injuring the child had dissipated when she realized just how sensitive she was to any sound he made, even if she was in a deep sleep. Marjorie felt so comforted herself as she shushed him that she fell asleep when he did. Mother and child were one in slumber, breathing in and out in the same consistent rise and fall of life in suspension. The next morning, when she woke up, she noticed that he was not in the bed. She did not panic because she knew that this had happened a number of times before. Matt was adventurous from the moment he could crawl, and since her mattress was smack dab on the floor, there was no fear that he would fall from a height. She walked into the living room and then froze. There was a dent in the wall from where she had thrown the book, but that was not what drew her attention. Matt was huddled over the fallen book on the floor, studying it. Marjorie remained frozen, observing him. After a length of time, he gingerly used both of his hands to turn a page. Then he thoroughly studied the color mixture on the left. He briefly glanced at the crude drawings on the right before turning the page again. Matt, Marjorie said. He continued looking at the book. Marjorie leaned forward. Matt, she said in a much louder voice. He turned his head up and to the side, looking directly at her. A wave of relief flooded over her. Thank God. She scooped him up from the floor and carried him to the couch. There, she held him close to her, whispering, You're not deaf. You're not deaf. After a while, he squirmed in her arms, which surprised her. He usually liked it when she picked him up. When she lowered him to the floor, he crawled straight back to the book. She leaned back, unworried. Children loved to play with a new object, a new toy. After they had gotten enough of it so that it lost its novel sheen, they would forget about it. That was why the affluent families she remembered from her childhood had enormous piles of toys all over the place. But his interest did not flag the next day, or the next, or the following week, or the following month. He was captivated by the books. Marjorie felt worried enough to leave the books out of his sight every once in a while, but he would throw a fit, screeching until she gave the book back, and his mental hunger was satiated. She tried to substitute other books, 
picture books from the library, but he had no interest in those. Shortly afterward, she started taking him to City Day Nursery. He met Rain. He discovered that he could create his own colors on the page, almost as if by magic. And thus it came to pass that, for a formidable portion of his formative years, Matt studied color patterns at home and then attempted to recreate them in daycare. But something had been overlooked. When Marjorie threw the book against the wall, she had assumed the sound had wakened Matt. It did not occur to her that the vibration from the impact could travel through the mobile home and disturb him, even if he was unable to hear the sound. When Marjorie leaned forward and called his name loudly, she assumed that he heard her. It did not occur to her that he could see a motion in the corner of his eye when she leaned in. Or perhaps she did not allow herself to entertain the possibility. Either way, the envelope lay there, the papers inside forgotten, the trust untapped, the funds that were allocated to pay for all expenses for Matt's education at a deaf school of Marjorie's choosing. Join us next time for episode 3 of the first season of American Opioid, where Marjorie is faced with undeniable evidence that her son is deaf and must make a decision that will alter the course of his life. <laughs>